Hey Church of the Beloved, thanks for tuning in to our weekly sermon podcast. My name is Kevin Zoe and I'm the production manager here at COTV. Today's message is brought to us by Senior Pastor Clint Shamblin. He is preaching from 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. Today we get to continue on in our series on 1 John. I'm very excited to continue this series. But today the message, while the gospel being proclaimed and preached is central to the tenets of faith here at COTB, uh, today we get the awesome privilege and responsibility to join in the Lord's Supper together with communion. So today we're going to try to get to that. I'm going to try to prepare your hearts to take communion, to see the breaking of God's body, the pouring out of his blood as the gift for you and I, by which everything else stands and falls. To do that, I want to talk about joy. Uh, the book of First John gives us this command, and I want you to hear it again and again and again. Because again, pastoring is essentially saying the same message to the same people forever. Uh, that's what the Bible says over and over. There's this arc within the gospel narration. And today, I want to tell you one more time. Joy is found only in Christ. That's the only joy you can have. And the entire epistle of 1 John is that you and I can leave completely full of joy. Now, we've been talking about how to get that joy, how to receive that joy. What is knowledge? How knowledge is artistic as well as empirical. How knowledge is scientific, but also it's wisdom. It's Sophia, as the scriptures call it, as well as many other philosophies, that the application of who God is in our lives, that's the true knowledge. Now, you and I could say all day long, I'm an astronaut, I'm an astronaut, I'm an astronaut, but until I go to space, I am not an astronaut. I'm a wannabe. We can say over and over and over, I know God, I know God, I know God. Until we know him, until we know that we know him, we, we don't know him at all. Until he sinks down into the, the very marrow of our bones, until we have the gospel that, in which it drops into the very being, the very essence of who we are, then we know it. We've been talking about that. Today, I want to tell you more ways to be joyful in life that is void of circumstance, that is not dependent on the career you have, the job you have, the financial bank account that you have, the friends you have, the spouse you have, the body you have. All of that is circumstantial. It can be taken in a heartbeat. Today, I want to give you a joy that is unshakable, that is foundational for every single aspect of your life. And in order to do that, in order to understand that, in order to get that, we actually have to know the hurdles to joy. To receive joy, you must also admit, I don't have joy. And if you have joy, I want to give you a test today to see if you have happiness or contentment. If you have happiness, guess what's going to happen to that next week? It's going to be gone. Uh, I wish Jay was here today because I would be just razzing him all day long. He was very kind to me. Uh, Jay is a Phillies fan. That's baseball for all of those who are not sanctified yet. Um, baseball is beautifully God's game. Uh, he created it and will forever keep it in the kingdom. Um, but Jay is a, a Phillies fan, and they beat my Atlanta Braves to get to the World Series, and the Phillies have lost the World Series to the Astros. And so that's circumstantial. That's joy that only comes around based upon what happens situationally. I want to give you joy that doesn't base itself on situation. And in order to do that, you must see hurdles to joy. You must see ways in which you don't currently have joy. And if you have anything based upon situation, it's happiness, it's not contentment. It will be shaken. 
So we continue on, and I want to give you knowledge of full joy that is not situational. I'm, I'm going to keep saying it over and over and over. I'm going to give you three tests, or, or maybe one test with three applications. Because in the coming weeks, we're going to change our tests. Today's test is, do you know the light? That's today's test. If you have joy, how do you know it's true joy? How do you know it's not fraudulent joy? Ah, do I know the light? If you don't have joy, the test today, how do I get joy? How do I overcome the hurdle? Know the light. That's the, that's the test. In subsequent weeks, we'll talk about your actions. We'll talk about morality and ethics, and we'll talk about actually the social fabric. How you construct your social life will dictate or, 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 or give you an understanding, will be a result of a test of do you have joy? Do you know the light? But today, joy is only arrived with these three. One, when we have the light. Two, that comes to us. And three, is good. The only way you can have joy in your life, true joy, is if it's light that comes to us and is good. And the first point of this, a, a hurdle to joy is realizing that it only can be found in Christ, no one else. Now, right off the bat, let me tell you, this is a very, 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 very hard thing to swallow for us today, isn't it? Because you say to yourself, no, 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 pastor, I can find joy in my... Uh, apple cider vinegar tonic diet that I have, which, God bless your soul if you can do that. No, no, I, I find it in diet. No, 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 I find it in, in my, my job. My career brings me joy, and that's where I find it. I find it in my family, in my spouse. I find it in my, in, in my friends. First John tells us, and one of the things that crept into the early church that John was speaking about, was talking to is that true joy only comes from the light. And it's a capital T, light. It does not say joy comes to you by a light. Now this is, again, very, very hard for us and very problematic to us. Because what happens within the church and within all life, I suppose, this isn't just the church, but it shouldn't happen in the church, so this happens in the world. People will say this all day long, don't they? They say, I I'm really good, I'm really great. And for the low, low price of $69.99 a month, you too can be great just like me. Follow my YouTube channels. Click, sponsor, ring that bell. You know, we just go on and on. Follow my TikTok. Here are all my secrets. All laid out because I am so great. We do this, don't we? Uh, think of the person that in your life you go, oh, I, I, have a really, I have a really, really tough problem. I need to ask somebody. Who do you go to? Who do you go to in which uh, there's, a, there's a tense situation at work or in your living situation or with a spouse? And if your answer, this is what was happening in the early church, and it happens today. Many people in the early church and many people today will start throwing solutions of how to solve a problem and they have no basis in Christ. They have no basis in God's word. They have no basis in his church. They're circumstantial solutions. There's a temporary problem and we have temporary solutions. That's, that's fine. If a flood is coming into your house, please put sandbags or put barriers to stop the flood from coming in. That makes a lot of sense. You should do that and then remove those sandbags when the flood goes. But for a lot of our lives, we try to fix an eternal problem with temporary solutions, don't we? We get the quick fix. Um, 
for me, a lot of this has to do with parenting because my children are approaching the age. Some are approaching teenager. He already is a preteen. And it's just questions are coming my way that I had no anticipation of answering so soon. <laughs> and it's hard. It's difficult. Now, if I just wanted my child to be good and respectful and follow my commands, you know what I would do situationally? I would go find the flavor of the month on some YouTube channel of somebody else, what they did to their children, and I would follow that thing to apply to my child. And then in two years, you know what happened to my parenting? It'd be gone. It'd be eviscerated. I would need another YouTuber to tell me what to do. See, one of the problems that we have that John tells us that I think in the church we need to be very, very, very knowledgeable about is that you and I believe that there are many solutions to an eternal problem when the reality of Scripture is, and why it's so difficult to swallow, why it's so problematic to us is John says, there is the light, not a light. There is the light. See, for many of us, we want to, again, follow these titans of industries. We want to follow examples made by others to get what we desire. Um, for this, I, I want to ask you a question. Do you know how many Fortune 500 CEOs there are in the world? Hint, it's in the name. Now, there are 500 of them because <laughs> there are 500 companies on the Fortune 500. And the CEO, the, the, the titans of industry, the best of the best, the greatest of the greatest, there's 500 in the world, Okay. That should clue us into something right away. If you are somebody that says, no, 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 my joy, my happiness is if I achieve the best in career, if I achieve financial independence, are you one of 500 in the entire world? Now, if you are, if we have a Fortune 500 CEO in our midst right now, like out yourself this second, <laughs> because my entire example just has gone out the window. <laughs> okay, good. It's 500 of billions of people. If your situational happiness based upon the monetary success and getting to the top of your industry, like many of us have joys and, and dreams of doing, that is an impossible hill to climb, first. Secondly, even when you get there, happiness is not guaranteed. Philip Bergeris was on PBS. He was the youngest Fortune 500 CEO ever named. He was successful. He, he had oil businesses. He had money. He had wealth. He had time. And when he was named CEO at the youngest age ever by the, by the publication, ever by the magazine, they did an interview later with him, and he discovered and he, and he shared throughout his time of his 11 years of being that CEO that he says, quote, when I was named CEO, I realized I felt nothing. Looking back, he says that at the culmination of many things, of my joyless, of my void of happiness existent as one of the 500 most influential people within business, a titan of industry, self-made man, powerful. What he realized is it wasn't just stress or workaholic tendencies. It was literally everything, nothing to him produced happiness. Now, this is mysterious to us. This is, this is boggling to us because we say, this, this man has made the American dream. He's done it. He's arrived. And yet, he quit that position. He stepped down. He was so depressed. He was so sad. He was so joyless that no amount of money, no amount of eating out, no amount of titles could ever do it for him. 
So here's my question to you, and, and, and this is, a, a, again, it's problematic to us. What temporary solution are you trying to apply to your eternal problem? Here's our eternal problem. We know that we know that we know we're not good enough to ever stand before a perfect and just God. We know that. Now, we try to make ourselves better. By how? Ah, I know. I'll feel comfortable by my, by my work ethic, by my morals, by my family, by my job. And every single time, this man has reached the pinnacle. He's reached the top. He is the best, the greatest. And he says, I wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. What First John tells us is there is the light, not a light. Stop trying to solve your problems by grabbing a light. The only way to do it is grabbing the light. Now, here's the test I want to give to you. Here's the test that actually John says that I said a number of weeks ago. I said, joy does not come to you by forcing yourself to have joy. Joy doesn't come by getting acumen, by getting more knowledge. That's not how joy comes. Actually, joy really comes to you by joy finding you. We're going to talk about this in the second, se second section of what darkness looks like. But I want to give to you, uh, Henry David Thoreau has a famous quote. You know this quote, uh, you might be thinking of it in your head right now. Success comes to those who are too busy looking for it, right? Success comes to those too busy looking for it. Here's what he means. Here's, I, I think, what he means. He means that if you try to list all the ways in which you will attain success, if you try to make this game plan A through Z, if you're type A and a perfectionist and think you could plan a perfect way to get there, it'll never happen, because you'll be focused on the auxiliary things that you'll never get to success. He's, he's right. The people that I know in my life that find joy, find contentment with Christ, aren't the ones who are gritting their teeth and clenching their hand and forcing it. If I was to apply uh, Thoreau's statement or quote to us, it would be this. Joy comes to those too focused on God to focus on other things. Joy comes to you and I. Contentment comes to you and I when we are too busy looking for it. We will wake up one day and we will say to ourselves, am I joyful? Am I, am I happy? Am I, am I content? And the way that we'll do that, church, this is why it's difficult. This is why it's problematic. The only way we will do that is if we stop focusing on ourselves. The only way we'll do that is if we focus, if we start, if our entire solution is only resolutely and completely dependent on Christ. That's where we'll have joy. Let me give it to you this way. Uh, in the beginning of creation, God created, and, and by the way, adult Sunday school after service is going through Genesis. So here's another plug for them. Get over to that. We have three people that would love to walk through Genesis with you. It's an incredible, incredible study. But in the beginning... God created man and woman, and he put them in the garden, and he made all sorts of flourishing happened, and he said, this is good. Now, I want to I stop for a second because this has implications for 1 John. 1 John tells us that the light is good. At the beginning, God says, this is good. Wait a second. At the beginning, we were in the garden. The garden was good. We were good. But now, John's telling us that the light's good, and, and only the light is God, not a light. What's going on? Do you know the sin upon every other sin that happened in the garden? The sin upon every other sin that happened in the garden was this. Adam and Eve were created to focus on God, to love his creation, to love his animals, to love his, his presence, his being. And what we did was we substituted out God for a tree. 
We substituted out God for knowledge of things that we were never supposed to have. We looked to God and said, hey, God, thank, thank you. I appreciate you. You're great. But you're not enough. I need more. Church, have you said that to God before? God, you're good. I love you. You're great. But I need more. Can you, can you change my significant other? That would really be helpful. Can, can you change my health? That would, really, that would really push me over the top. God, if you really loved me. See, in the garden, the sin upon every other sin is we look to God and said, God, you are good, but you're not great. You are good, but you're certainly not good enough. I need more. And John, that's exactly what he's saying. People had come into the church and said, look, God's great and all, but you need, you need me. I am the great and glorious. I just went and saw Wicked this last week, and it's much like behind the wizard's incredible, incredible machinery of his mask and his face. Oh, it's the great wizard. But then you take away all the animatronics, and it's just a poor little man. See, we believe that we can go ahead and replace the only light for a light, and it will give us joy. And what John tells us is, no, 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 no. Romans follows up what is said in Genesis, and Romans says they exchanged the good thing that God gave them for a lie that they wanted, and that was the sin. That was the problem. So church, if you base your success, your joy, your happiness, your contentment on anything else besides Christ Almighty, it will crumble and fail. How do I know? Because we've already done it. Because I can give you every single thing that you've ever wanted in life, but if it's Christless, it cannot stand. The sin above all sins is that our gaze, our focus, our, our absolute dedication went off of God and became on us. I want knowledge. I want insight. I want goodness. And God's saying, I had given you everything that was good. Do, do you not trust what I give you? See, we, we don't think of it in these terms, do we? That when we go to other things before we go to Christ to give us joy, that if we place and prioritize other things ahead of Christ and our faith in him and our salvation in him, our atonement in him, what we're saying to God is, you aren't good enough. Have you been there, church? Are you there? Are you currently sitting in that reality where you would ask God for his gifts rather than his presence? God's a good God. He's a good father that gives good gifts. Don't ask for his gifts. Ask for him. That's the first point. The point is this. Joy comes only from the light, capital T. The second point is this. Light must be brought to us. Here's a hurdle to joy that we face all the time, a difficulty in us understanding, is that admitting we need help is foreign to us. Admitting that we aren't good, admitting that we can't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and solve the problem is really foreign. Essentially, let me summarize that. Nobody likes to admit they are wrong or bad or lacking. That's, that's what John means. A hurdle to joy is if light is in him, the light, the flip side of that is it's not in us. Because we've been trying to find light in us and humanity for centuries. <laughs> for all of recorded history. Oh yes, this country and this leader, they're the right way. 60 years later, <laughs> things fall. 
I, I was going to start off this sermon by making some sort of quip on politics, but I've learned heavy in life that that is no longer the case. You can't do that anymore. But I can say this 100% with conviction. Tuesday, we are asked to engage as citizens of America or citizens of our culture that we're part of, and you should engage. Be engaged. Be informed. Vote, please. Here's our problem with it much of the time. I, I watch these political advertisements all day long, all day yesterday, three or four in between each break of Georgia just beating down Tennessee. God said it was good. And I watch these political ads and I am just, I am taken back because every single time what has happened is somebody stands resolutely chest high, chin up and says, follow me and I will lead you to the promised land. That's what they're saying. Whoever it is, every single one. I'm the better choice. I'm the great choice. I'm your leader. I'm the leader you need. And every time I look at that and I go, no, you're not. Because you're just like me. And if I know me, which I do, I'm really broken and dark inside. In my worst times, in my most depleted times, in the times where I'm falling and having a hard time fall asleep, I think back to how I think, how I act, what I have done, and I go, why does anybody listen to me? Have you been there? Have you had that reaction emotionally to yourself? When we look at other people and we say, yes, they're just, they're, they're the leader we need. They're, they're human, flesh and blood, just like you. And if you know yourself, and only you know yourself better than anyone else, you must admit, could you have the audacity to admit you would make a horrible president, <laughs> a horrible senator, a horrible HOA president? I mean, we're just setting the bar real low, guys. I need a t Someone told me there's a t-shirt out there that says defund the HOA. I need that t-shirt. <laughs> See, when we say Christ is the light, what happens to us is we must say only him there is light and there's nothing in us. I remember there's a cooking show several years ago where these chefs would go into a grocery store and they would ask people to stop shopping for their groceries for that night. They'd say, let us come over and whatever you have in your pantry, whatever you have in your fridge, I'll make a five-star meal out of it. And many people would, and they'd come back, and people were like, I don't have anything in my fridge. I don't have anything. And the point of the chefs were like, they would say with a smirk, they're like, oh, yes, I know. People always say that, but we find something. We kind of do that with people. You say, pastor, no, stop. Pastor, there's good in everybody. There's good in everybody, pastor. Uh, technically, you're correct, because we're all made in the image of God. So there's that. That's the baseline. But outside of that, we must admit darkness resides in us. This, this show, this grocery, these chefs would do that in one particular time they walked in and there was a group of five college guys walking in. <sighs> you guys remember your undergraduate years, what you ate in quotes? <laughs> so they go up to these college students and they say, hey, uh, let us come over, let us cook, don't shop for groceries. And the college students are like, we have nothing. And they're like, oh, ha, ha. yes, everybody says that. And they convince them, like, okay, come on over. <laughs> And they open up every pantry and they open up every fridge and they open go through every drawer. And there were three ingredients in the house. What's the first ingredient they had? Beer. <laughs> yes. Okay, good. You have gone to undergraduate. I appreciate that. Uh, I had a buddy in undergraduate school that um, brewed beer in his bathtub, which meant two things. The beer was skunk beer and he never bathed. <laughs> Okay, I'm going. The second thing they had, baking soda, and the third thing was salt. 
And the chefs looked around, they're like, where's your food? And the college students are like, it's right there. <laughs> they're like, no, 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 where do you eat? And they go, this is what we eat. And they left and they said, we can't cook anything here. There's nothing for us to do. Would you have the audacity to admit that's much like our souls? Without Christ, we have beer, salt, and baking soda. And I guess it's technically correct, it's not empty. But is it thriving? Is it flourishing? Is it what you were made for? Is it what you would call good? Would you have that audacity to admit that? Because much of our darkness is not like a dam breaking and, and water gushing down and that flood coming on a city. That's easy to see. If, if a dam was to break, if we lived next to a body of water and a dam broke and all the water comes rushing down, we would say, hey, that needs to be fixed. We need to stop that. That's not much of our darkness. All of society can see darkness on that scale, see the magnitude of darkness, and be like, that's gross, that's sinful, that needs to be corrected. That's easy. Do you know what's really hard to see needs fixed? The tiny little leak in the back of your cabinet that you have no clue is happening that just drips once every two minutes. You know why that's so dangerous? Do you know what that's doing each and every time that drip happens? First of all, you don't recognize it's there. You have no concept. The water is running. Things are happening. It's not coming flooding out of the underside of your cabinet. But do you know what's going to happen over time? Dry rot. Freezing. Burst pipes. Massive expense coming your way. Water seeping down and creating mold in the drywall right below it. See, it's easy for us to say, no, 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 pastor, I'm, look, I'm, I'm not horrible, I'm not awful, I'm not grossly sinful. I do the big things. I do the main things. I go to church, I don't randomly accost people on the street. It's Christmas coming up and I'll give to a charity here and there. Toys for Tots is a thing. I'll put the, put the little toy wrapped up in Starbucks in the basket. I'm a good person. I, I do the major things. But you know what we do with Scripture a great deal? We approach Scripture, we approach God's Word, we approach the Lord Almighty, and we say to ourselves, I, I do the big things, the small stuff I don't really care about. Do you know what joy is sucked from our life the easiest? On the small things of Scripture. It really is. On the small things of Scripture, joy is completely drained from us. It's, that's that, it's like that leak in the back of the cabinet that nobody knows about. Because on a grand scale, I don't have to sit before people. I don't have to sit in front of society. I don't have to make a political ad that says, we should stop murdering. But he goes, thanks. Of course we, yes, sure, next. What's your point? We can all agree upon that. Nobody, nobody looks at the problem in society and says, oh, here are the big major things that we need to do. No, 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 no. That's easy. That's cake. Joy is drained from us on the small things of Scripture. Because with Scripture, why do we do this? It's, it's like when we go to another country and we go to the Queen's Palace and we say, hey, Queen, I'd like to meet with you. How, about, how does 2 o'clock sound? All right, see you then. We walk away. Do you know what's going to happen to your request to see the Queen at 2? Denied. It's not going to happen. You're not going to get to see her. Why? Why won't you see the Queen? You don't invite yourself to the Queen's Palace. You're a foreign national in her country. You request to see the queen, and if she grants it, it's because she wants to show herself to you. Church, can I challenge you with something? I told you there's a hurdle to joy, and one of the hurdles to joy is that darkness is in our lives, is that we are, are, are see but with a veil. 
One day we will see clearly, but right now it's, it's like a filter. It's fuzzy. It's hazy. When we go to scripture, why do we say, all right, Jesus, I'm going to meet with you now. You must beckon to my agenda. Here's how I see you working. We should approach scripture and say, Jesus, expose yourself to me. Reveal yourself to me. Let me see who you are. Why? I can't force him to tell me who he is. I can't do that. He's the king. I'm in his land. Why am I demanding he must meet with me? Do you see? That drains my joy because if I think I have privilege over the queen that she must meet with me and she doesn't meet with me, do you know what happens to my joy? It's crushed. Let me go a step further. Do you know what happens if she meets with me and I expect her to meet with me? What happens to my joy? Am I happy she's meeting with me? No. I expected her to. So I'd say, of course you're meeting with me. Because I'm, I'm Clint. I'm the greatest thing on planet Earth. I'm, I'm glorious. Queen. What does that mean? Why do we do that with Jesus? Why do we sit there and we say, Jesus, uh, of course you're going to meet with me. I'm your MVP. No, we're not. <laughs> we must admit, any single time that Jesus reveals himself to us by the spirit indwelling us, by his word, by his people, by his church. It's a gift. We will find that joyful. We will experience great joy at any little morsel of goodness. There's a, there's a passage in scripture, Jesus is having a bagel with people and there's, a, there's somebody in the, in the Bible that says, she says, if only I could just have the scraps that fall off the table, I would be happy. And Jesus says, she gets it. She understands that it's not, I'm high and mighty and need a place of honor with a scepter and a crown and a throne because I'm so great. She knows, I'll take anything because anything I get from Jesus is gold. Do you have that heart posture with the church, with Jesus, with his word? Or do you think, no, I deserve it. If you think you deserve it, you will be drained of joy if you don't think you do every single thing you get from Jesus will be joyful every single thing you will be absolutely bounding over the darkness of your own soul bounding over the darkness of our world into the glorious light but you have to have the audacity to admit you don't deserve it and that's hard isn't it that's difficult isn't it ah point three this light is good. If we must need the light, that has to come to us instead of us going to it. You should ask yourself, if I start focusing on the light, is the light good or is, is Jesus going to have bad things for me? Pastor, you keep saying I don't deserve it. He gives it to me. How do I know that the food he gives me? How do I know the shelter he gives me? How do I know that's good? Let me tell you how it's good, why this light is good. D.A. Carson, a Canadian pastor and theologian, he's a professor, talks about a passage in Isaiah. It's a really, really famous passage. And we sing it all the time in various ways. It's the thrice holy aspect of God. Isaiah says, God is holy, holy, holy. Now, holy just simply means perfect. Three times holy is thrice perfection. And if you're anybody like me who gets really, really annoyed with things that are illogical, you're like, how can you be more perfect than perfect? And that should like gnaw at you. When Isaiah says God is 
thrice perfect. He is perfect, perfect, perfect. He is holy, holy, holy. John is saying something similar in here. When he says, the light, it comes to you. It brings you joy. It reveals itself to you, and it is good. Oh, it's such a good light, church. It says at the end of the passage in John, the final couple verses that were read for you, if you confess your sins, he is good to forgive. How do I know this light is good for you and I? How do I know that thrice holy being is in fact perfect, is not somebody that I can distrust, but rather somebody I can trust, is not somebody that I have to keep on saying, no, I deserve better, but rather anything that he gives me is what is for me? How do I trust that? How do I know that? It's very simple, church. It's what John keeps on saying. We saw and heard in the beginning Christ crucified. If you want the best evidence for how good God is, look to the cross. It's the best evidence you'll ever find. It's public. It is open. It is Christ becoming man from God, taking on the form of flesh instead of sitting in heaven. It's the best evidence you can ever find. Jackie Robinson, a very, very famous baseball player, Hall of Famer, uh, broke the color barrier into baseball. He was the first assimilated from the Negro Leagues into Major League Baseball, and he suffered all sorts of hate, all sorts of tension. Every city that he went to, there was boycotts, there was jeering, there was hate-filled messages. Uh, Jackie Robinson played shortstop, second base, infield. He played outfield for a, a hot minute. There was a player, Pee Wee Reese, on the Dodgers, the Brooklyn Dodgers. Pee Wee Reese was afraid. Jackie Robinson was very skilled. When he came up, he was going to take over his starting position. Pierce in an interview said, if he's better than me, he should, he should take my position. Pee Reese was a, a Caucasian white baseball player. And Jackie Robinson, the only black African-American player to come into the league, was saying, was about to take over this man's job, and there was all sorts of tension. Pee says this in an interview, says this post-game, says this to the press, and still there was jeering, there was hate. They would go to ballparks, and it was just visceral. It was so aggressive. So Pee Reese one day... Stops play, walks over to Jackie Robinson as he faces the multitude of thousands and thousands of people hating him. And he puts his arm over Jackie and he says, I got you. He puts on display publicly for everybody and he says, one day they will stop jeering you and they will celebrate you. One day they will stop hating you and they will love you. And he puts his arm around him and the stadium goes silent. See, Jesus was not somebody that stayed away and just made proclamations. He wasn't just some guy that said, be better, do better. What he said was, I will come down and I will put my arms around the cross to take on the death that should have been yours. And I will publicly display for all, this is who I am. If you want to know how good he is, if you want the proof of it, if you want to say, is Jesus really good enough, Pastor? Because he says a whole lot of things that kind of get me riled up. He says a couple things that, that make me go, I don't know if I could follow this Jesus guy. Does he really have good for me? Oh, church, he does. How do I know? He didn't ask you to get on the cross. He took it on himself. He didn't ask you to be perfect. He was perfect. He didn't say, be better. He said, I will be the best. He didn't say, come to me, but rather, I will come to you. Now, if you have a God that has no relationship with you, if you have an idol, if you have something that's bringing you happiness that is keeping its distance from you, you don't have a good and loving God. You have a fake idol. 
if you have something that won't sacrifice for you, won't give of itself for you, if you have a boss that says, no, I'm so great, do everything for me, that's not the light. <laughs> you have a fake idol. In church, here's the part where it gets a little uncomfortable. If you're that person, don't trust your own heart. If you say, no, the world serves me, people do for me, I know what is good, I know what's best for me, church, do you have the audacity to admit you are in darkness with that? And you need light shown upon your life. You need a Pee Wee Reese to come over, put his arm around you and say, we got this. That person is Christ. How do I know he's good? He didn't come and demand, you serve me. He said, I'll serve you. Even to the point of jumping on the cross, even to the point of saying, slay the perfect for the imperfect. Slay the good for the bad. Slay the light for the darkness. And in doing so, we will see that he is holy, holy, holy. I told you I was going to give you three tests. In next week's, we'll do morals, we'll do ethics, we'll do social. How you construct your social life shows a test of if you know this Jesus guy. I want to give you three right now. Do you know joy by testing if you start with God? If you start with, I have a problem in my life, whatever it is, and you start with anything besides, let me understand how Jesus orchestrates my life by his word, by his church, by his people, and by his spirit, it's doomed to fail. Do you go to other items to get joy rather than God? That's your first test. The second test is this. Do you know joy by testing to see if you are in darkness? That you, would you readily admit, I don't know all the things. I don't even know what I don't know. I learned a whole lot of things this last week from the staff, y'all. They are crazy things that I learned about, about different cultures and different traditions. And I had no clue. I had no concept of. I had to admit, I don't know what I don't know even. That's at minimum what darkness means. Would you at minimum say, I don't know what I don't know and I need the light to shine and show me? That's a great place to start. And then lastly, do you know joy by testing to see how good he is? Do you know it's okay to ask God for you to test him? It's totally appropriate, totally fine, because he asks some crazy things of us, doesn't he? Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me for the life that I did lead. Now, wait a second. I don't have a life anymore? It's wrapped up in Christ? That's a huge ask, is it not? You should say before you enter that, hey, Jesus, I got some questions. And he says, ask away. I'd be more than happy to answer them. Do you see him as good for asking you to be transformed because he himself transformed? Do you approach him not because he was somebody that said, transform from me and never came to you, but rather sits next to you and says, let me transform first from Godhead to man so that I can ask you to go from man, from mankind, from human to sanctified person in me. I'm asking you to be a totally different thing than what you are. Let me show you first by going before you and becoming something totally different than I was. Those are your tests. Do you know joy? Because you start with Christ. That you start to see I am not Christ. And do you start to see that he is good because he transformed for me and asks me to transform for him. And that is the perfect kind of love. That is love unending. 
Pray with me. Thanks for tuning in to this week's COTV Sermon Podcast. For more info or to connect with us, you can visit us online at cotv.life. God bless and have a great week.